Hello and welcome once again to Behind the Bench with Neil Francis, hosted by myself, Gareth Hewish, and John Donovan. We've got two episodes in the can already, and uh, the last episode started a little bit of a uh, Twitter bench clearance, our Tough Guys episode. Franny, you and uh, Adam Keefe uh, renewing rivalries, but uh, nice to see that uh, we've got uh, other teams listening to us, and uh, you know, yeah, far from controversy, are you say? Well, it, it did, did wonders for our viewing figure, so thank you, Kiefer, <laughs> for that, and uh, you know, hopefully he's a regular listener in that. We hope so, and uh, John, um, and much feedback from you from, from the last couple of episodes? My wife hated it. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I, thankfully, uh, and, and Gaz, it's your concept, and Franny's really the star of the show, but every everything I've heard so far... Has been has been complimentary, but uh, as I said last time, for for us guys, it's just sitting around the table talking hockey, and that's that's not half bad. And we are going to do that again today. We have the 2014-2015 season, um, arguably one of the most pivotal seasons in Devils history, and uh, we're going to go through it from beginning to end, all the highs, and there were many, many, many of them. And only a few lows this time, unlike uh, the record breaker year, we ended on a bit of a downer. But this one will not be the case. Uh, a little spoiler for anyone who wasn't around uh, at the time. Very quickly, we're going to brush over the season before, um, very quickly with you, John. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a season that, that wasn't great. Um, from a fan's point of view, um, the fans needed a bit of change. They did. It, it, it was a hard season and uh you know not gonna delve into it too deep because it was it was pretty painful and uh um you know i i was involved from the supporter side of things with the the supporters club and some of the things i did i thought were okay and some of the things i didn't i, I did i didn't think were okay and i look back now with uh uh certain regrets but no the club as a whole and the fans were were uh at a low point and it, and it certainly needed a uh uh, a lift, um, but never in a million years did uh, did I think it was it was going to get the lift that uh, that it that it got and, and get and continues to get. Uh, it all happened in June, a time where these days rosters are almost complete and ready to go. But at the time, it was one lowly devil signing in Ben Bands, and then all of a sudden from nowhere, a new consortium comes in: Steve King, Tom Kalman. All the guys, Neil Francis, of course, <laughs> all coming in and everything just turns on its head within a week. Um, and Franny, I can be this, you have to work pretty quickly um, to get everything on the road to the season. That starts with a coach. Um, there was one in position already and Dave Whistle. He is uh, relieved of his duties. Andrew Lord is installed as player coach. Why Lordo? I mean, f- first of all, it was um, because of what we were coming off the back of. It, it was felt that we couldn't carry a, a full-time dedicated coach, so you know that that decision had to be made, and it was we had to go with a player coach just because we, we had to test the water to see, you know, if we could repair the damage that had been done, and you know how quickly. And uh, as soon as we were, um, as soon as we were considering a player coach, two names came to mind straight away. One was Mac Faulkner, um, previous captain and, you know, pretty much held the place together during, you know, the, the, the previous year. And the other was Andrew Lord. And, you know, 
Faulkner wasn't available because he'd just been offered the, the Harvard scholarship, so he was back there. And, um, you know, Andrew Lord straight away, just because of his diligence, I think, as a person, uh, the passion that he showed. Um, you know, I got to know Lordo, you know, well over email over the three years prior to him signing for the Devils. And, you know, I knew how detailed he was in terms of the questions that he was asking about, you know, uh, every every single aspect of, uh, you know, when he was coming over. Um, but then getting to, to know him a bit as a person and, you know, the way that he played and, you know, the aim of the club when it was taken over... Um, First of all, I think it was to earn trust in the new ownership. You know, the, the aims that we set out at the start was to earn trust in the new ownership because obviously a lot of people had maybe lost lost their trust in, in the Devils. Um, it was to re-establish the identity that had been lost to the Devils. You know, we always talk about Devils hockey, don't we? And um, when you're looking at Devils hockey, there's a great read across into to Andrew Lord and... Uh, you know, he had a passion for improving every day as a player, um, helping those around him. He'd had that year in North America where he'd had a bad concussion in pre-season, missed the whole year. This is when he just had it signed, I think, his first American League contract in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had been used by an American League team as their video coach a- a- analyst because he's got a great hockey brain and he's a very smart guy. So... You had all those qualities in together and, you know, the guy stood head and shoulders as, um, I think, pretty... We didn't even bother considering anyone else because, you know, he was the ideal candidate if he was if he was interested. Um, talked to him in some off-the-record conversations and you just saw the excitement light up in his face. Um, at the time, I couldn't even tell him about Todd Kelman. Um, you know, that, that was under wraps. He just knew that there was something good was going to potentially happen. Uh, and he actually wrote me a letter to pass on to this unnamed person about why he was the person for the job. And it, it was pretty remarkable. And I think as soon as Todd read it, he's like, OK, that's, that's that then. Well, uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And <laughs> I don't think anyone could argue that um, that was uh, a remarkable choice. And uh, hats off to you for having seen summoning him at that time. Um, Just on that, guys, I think, and, you know, we, we've been um, privileged enough to, to, to be with Andrew Lord down on the benches doing interviews with him, what have you, and, you know, uh, he talks to us uh, off camera a little bit. Not uh, naming names, but that, that shows a huge amount of trust by Andrew Lord in, in Franny and the potential project because there were other, certainly British teams, that, that, that were um, trying to get Andrew Lord on, on their roster, um, which, which he's, he's told us about. And he, he just wanted to wait it out, and to wait it out that long into the summer, I think uh, Franny must have done a great sales job, first and foremost, but um, I, you know, just, just speaks again of the type of person Andrew, Andrew Lord is and, and how uh, the dedication he's shown to Cardiff, that he wanted to be here and, and he was prepared to wait and, and not take offers to, to see if this project could come to fruition. So the team is launched at a, at a Meet the Owners event. Steve King was golfing in Scotland and made a trip down to Cardiff to meet uh, the fans of his uh, new hobby, which uh, I'm sure he didn't realise quite what a journey it was at that time. But Lauder was officially announced. Everyone gets to meet Steve King and Todd Kelman for the first time as uh, Devils owners. 
and some players are announced as well. Some returnees and two young upstarts, uh, Chris Culligan and Joey Adad. Now, in my research, I was reading an Echo article about Chris Culligan, um, and he basically mentions that the Devils were in contact with him before the ownership change, which is uh, quite interesting. Ryan, do you know anything about that? And uh, how did uh, Chris Culligan get on your radar? Chris Culligan came about through Dan Lacosta. Um, so, you know, Lacosta, like an absolutely superb guy. Um, and, you know, we know the difficulties he faced when he was here. However, you know, he made some great friends um, when he was here. And, you know, I'd like to count myself and I know Lord Owood as well. So um, he... He'd always been talking about, he's, you know, he's a hockey guy as well, you know, he's got his goaltending clinic. Um, he was always talking about guys that he played with, you know, he said that the uh, Canadian University League has maybe got some hidden gems in there, uh, you know, and talked about some guys that he played with and, you know, it was always sort of bouncing guys that may be interested for other years and Culligan was a guy that he mentioned, he'd been captain in that, that team. Um, and, you know, he just said, this guy will, will fly, you'll just love him, he can do anything, he, he could play in the American League. Uh, and I think at the end of that season, uh, the last season before he came to us, um, he got called up straight from Canadian University into the American League and played a few games, um, and then played in the coast and had a pointed game or whatever. So, always very interested in him. Um, the more and more we looked into him, he just looked like he would be, you know... Uh, a, a great fit for, for what we were trying to put together and uh, it was then through you know we got the deal done with with Cully um, and it was him that recommended Joey Haddad you know a good friend of his and obviously knew that Joey was a heck of a player that uh, that would fit in as well and the more we looked at Joey Haddad and the references we got on him I think the one quote that I keep using about Joey Haddad is um, one of the coaches in the East Coast League said he's the most complete player in the East Coast League um, which was, you know, quite quite the accolade. And, you know, when you look at the Joey Haddad you see today, he doesn't lead the scoring charts, but, you know, some of the play, I mean, the best puck retention I've ever seen uh, of any player. Um, you know, he's very robust as a player. He'll go to the dirty areas. He can play a little bit of that agitator role. Um, great goal scorer. Uh, you know, smart guy and, you know, an all-round first-class individual. Yeah, Culligan is one of the most intelligent hockey players I've seen play for the Devils. I think there was a little bit of pressure on him initially because he was playing as first-line centre. Uh, and I'm not sure, you know, new to the league, he, he was ready to perhaps carry that. Um, but as, as the season wore on and, and maybe he moved down the lines a little bit, and of course his, his mobility uh, in terms of uh, positional mobility came into effect seasons after. But as a hockey player who could, who could read the game... Um, uh, you know he's 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 going to be up there, and and her dad he's he's going to be a cult hero for the Devils for for years to yeah. come. I go, you know, I thought Finity was good down low, but her dad's <laughs> in a in another level again. And I always uh, I always jokingly tell him he should shoot more because he's got a hell of a release on him, and uh, maybe we don't always see it, but when he uh, when he hits that puck, it uh, it travels at some speed. Yeah, interesting you say about Culligan's um, ability to play, you know, his versatility to play in any position, and I think we did. Apart from dressing, dressing him in goal, I think we played him in every position there was. Um, but, you know, I was speaking to his dad. Dad's another great hockey yeah, person. Great. Um, you know, and I really enjoyed the conversations with him. And it was at the time when he'd moved back on D, which I think was probably the, the season mm-hmm. after. Um, and he said, you know, he's never played D before in his life. <laughs> and we assumed that he'd always been, you know, he was asked to do this 
this job he did it for us very effectively one game and then he became like our swing man if we had a d-man down he would jump back there and it could be the same game he would jump forward and you know that that takes a special player to do that um, but the fact he's never played D before, no. it just shows what a hockey IQ the guy had. Uh, if there's a podcast we do in months, years to come of Devils we'd like to have seen stay around longer, he'd probably be at the top of my list. I don't think, I think that's an episode. I might go on a poll. We've got the gap now for next week. We've got mention for Bant. John, this event and this signing of players en masse mm-hmm. very late in the day... Yeah. Echoes to me of the first year in the tent mm. when we had a very similar event. Yeah. And I think on that day we announced Beer Briar, Mark Smith, mm. Dave Ionazzo, yeah. um, all at once. Yeah. That was a team that seemed to come together very late mm. as well. Um, two very, very good teams, mm. though. Um, do you think there's much in that in terms of chemistry when you got guys, and this is a question for both of you, really, um, when you got guys coming in um, sort of in the trenches, I guess. I, yeah, I think there's 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 something in that. I, one of my big regrets as a Devils fan, I I wasn't at this event. I you know I had been a little burnt the year before, and I can't remember whether well, Franny probably wasn't playing at the time. We, we used to play Thursday five aside football, and it was on a Thursday night. And uh, I, thought, <laughs> I definitely oh, wasn't there. No, you <laughs> I thought I'd play Thursday five aside football and go home and you know kind of hide in the corner a little bit. But obviously, being a Devils fan, I was intrigued, and and Paul Sullivan did a great. Uh, kind of summary of it afterwards and uh, uh, you know I think the market's an interesting one and Franny's probably better to, to speak on this obviously it's, it's late to be putting a team together but at the same time I guess you probably have some some quality players who have been waiting for options and maybe for one reason or another haven't been signed up yet and with other teams perhaps having I don't know completed their rosters or got most of their rosters but you know the devil's whilst in a difficult position, maybe had a, a little bit of strength there that, that uh, they weren't competing at that time with, with so many other teams? Yeah, it, it, was, um, it was a funny one because we did, you know, obviously things were going on in the background. It may happen, it may not happen. Um, and we were seeing players that we would have liked signing for other clubs and you're just like, okay, there's another one we've lost. And, you know, that would include some of the Cardiff players. I mean, one thing that we decided is that we need to have a massive overhaul of the club you know, following on for that season, it needed to be a, a new identity. Um, and there was only a handful of players that we wanted back, basically. Um, and the first person that we signed, and was actually signed before the deal was act- uh, was officially done, was Tyson Marsh. Because we knew he would be a cornerstone mm-hmm. of a good team. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough... Uh, as I wasn't involved in the latter half of the previous season, um, a few players had spoken to me about helping them get jobs, almost mm-hmm. like representing them to, to find them a job because they knew I had contacts and yep. and the rest of it and knew the league and you know what was available and all that kind of stuff. So I helped a few guys and it was my way of kind of keeping my hockey bug alive. Yep. And Marshy was one of those and I met up with Marshy and he'd... You know, the year before, I think we we messed him about to be honest because he had that. If you remember the the first season he had, he was unbelievable shoulder when he first injury, came yeah. in. He had a shoulder injury, came back too soon, confidence went, and yeah. he was shaky. And it's like, right, do we resign this guy? You know, what are we going to get? We're going to get the guy that started yeah. the year, the guy that finished the year. Um, and you know we we did mess him about. I actually remember seeing you on on Mill Lane the day we we were about to sign him, and, and he was the last guy, wasn't he? That, uh, yeah. that we signed that he, year. He was the last guy. In the end, we were like, 
you know, we had a gut feel that, you know, we, we loved him as a guy. Yeah. You know, loved him as a, as a leader in the dressing room. Um, and it was just that nagging doubt that how his season sort of fell apart. And then we're like, well, maybe it was the injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he got messed about and he goes, I don't want to go through another summer like that. Uh, you know mm. the situation in all the league. Can you help me find somewhere? And and I was actually talking to other clubs in our league and recommending him yeah. to go. And it was actually to Brayhead. Okay. Uh, Finner was coach at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like Finner a lot and uh, got a lot of respect for Finner. You know, Finner obviously liked Marshy and knew what he could bring. And I was saying to Marshy, this is, this is where you need to go. This is where you need to go. Thinking about it, that would have been a really good fit. Yeah. <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been a great fit for them. And the contract was about to get signed and there was a delay at Brayhead's end yeah. in terms of producing the paperwork. And I think maybe they challenged on a, a, some terms of the deal and it was delayed and Marsh is like, oh my God, is this falling apart? And, and then I had to turn around to him and obviously I had the okay from, from Todd to do this. And I was like, Marsh, I don't want you to go to Brayhead. And he's like, what? You've been telling me all along yeah. that you yeah. know Brayhead is, is where I've got to go. I said, no, I, I want you to sign in Cardiff. And he's like, what? You know, where's this coming from? And I said, okay, Marshy, you're in the circle of trust now. <laughs> um, and, you know, I told him about Lordo, mm-hmm. about Todd Kalman, and you could just see his face every, t- every time I'm mentioning He's like, you know, you're kidding me. You have me on here. And I said, this is going to be, um, you know, a new platform. We've got these great owners coming in. You know, I've got to, to learn a bit about them. Mm-hmm. And they're hockey fans first and foremost. You know, this is their passion. Um, you know, we are, this is going to be the, the first day of a, a new dawn for the club and we want you to be a key figure. We want you to be captain. And we actually, you know, normally we would appoint the captain from the sort of locker room and stuff like that. Yeah. But we decided we wanted Marshy as the figurehead and, and the captain. And he's like, wow. He goes, well, give me, you know, how long have I got to think about it? I was like, well, we need to know pretty soon. You know, the, the deal's about to go ahead. Brayhead, obviously... Mm. Are keen to get you tied up, um, so it was it was overnight, and you know he was having an hour about it, and you know he phoned me back, and he's like, "Okay, I'm going to trust you on this. I'll sign, but I don't want to be captain." And we're like, "What? <laughs> you know that that's yeah. like an honour. Most wow. people are like you know are waiting all their career to be asked to be captain on something," and he's like, "Yeah, but you know I was just thinking about last year when." You know, I think Falks had different people living on his floor yeah. every uh, mm-hmm. every weekend, and all the all the stuff that Falks had to do. You know, he was lending guys money. He was mm-hmm. doing all, and I think that had kind of uh, yeah. soured Marshy's view of what a captain could be. And I was like, Marshy, trust me. You know, this is going to be a you know mm-hmm. totally different gravy here. And you know, obviously, eventually accepted the captain, and uh, you know, a great captain he was too. Absolutely. Was he comfortable on Falkner's uh, sofa jump? Uh, always got a warm reception from, from uh, yeah <laughs> Mrs Faulkner wasn't so impressed <laughs> so then, then when we looked at other guys from the existing roster that we, we we'd want to take uh, Jake Morissette was was right up there and I think you know we've, we've talked about that opening night and there was six or so players hmm. named and then we had if you remember the sort of drinks after in the yeah. Cuckoo Club uh, um, at Park oh, Plaza yeah and all the fans are buzzing because, you know, Todd Kalman has spoken and mm-hmm. we know, you know, Todd is, is fantastic in a room. Um, He's okay. Steve King, <laughs> Steve King spoke. And again, when you talk about things fitting together perfectly, the fact that Steve King was in the UK yeah. on the day, I mean, he's so busy with his, 
you know, with, with his job, that there's no way he could have flown across. However, he just so happened to have booked these days off and, you know, he flew down from Scotland to be there. So people could, it wasn't just this kind of urban legend that we've got these owners in Canada, you know, almost like uh, the slap shot, you know, the yeah. new owners <laughs> relocating the team to Miami kind of thing. He was there. And again, Steve, is a, you can you can get the, the genuineness straight away from him. And it was, you know, it was great to see. Um, and when he, you know, he spoke about the club and everything that he, he had planned, it, it's, it's happened. I mean, I always remember that he said, if it's the choice between making a profit or if Lordo comes to me and says, I need another player, it's another, it's another player every time. And he's backed that up every single year. You were going to just, you were going to talk, touch about the, the Morissette thing. I yeah. think that's really interesting that I think of all the signings, he was the one everyone went, ooh, okay. But because I think the year before he'd been missold, he'd been brought in as a guy that was going to score a lot of goals. And he, he has scored goals yeah. in his career, but he's so much more than that. And everyone yeah. had a difficult year the year before. And I, I think there was still a little bit of doubt about what Jake Morissette brought as a yeah. player. Yeah, it, it, definitely. And um, it was like, you know, I love the look of these signings, this, that, and the other. But you know, the one I'm not convinced on is Morissette. You know, out of all the players that we haven't re-signed, Maybe there's a couple ahead of him. And, uh, and the answer that I gave at the time, which is still true to this very day, is the benchmark that we want to set for effort, for passion, for you know, being the selfless team player is Jake Morissette. And you, know, you look at the way that he's played every single game for this organisation in terms of the blocking of the shots, the penalty kills, all the intangibles. And maybe they're things that the armchair spectator doesn't appreciate as much as a teammate would. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew Jake Morissette was going to be an integral part of this club. Absolutely. Shall I go again? Because I got you know, some some other bits uh, of insight, <coughs> if you like. Um, we mentioned Ben Bounds was the only Devils player signed. I had to make a call to Ben when he was on holiday yes. to say there's going to be an announcement tomorrow. Uh, there's new ownership for the club, but don't worry, your job's safe. Um, you know, so there was no reservations. Ben Bounds obviously a very talented netminder, and what had a couple of strong years at Hull, but on a struggling team, and he was a signing prior to the takeover. Were there any reservations from from Lordo or Todd about having a British netminder in there? Did they want to go another way? Uh, Bouncy had always played really well in Cardiff, and it's something Phil O'Zare always talked to me about. Is that for some reason Bounds suits the the big blue ten is because the size of him, the way he plays his angles, he's always really successful. So that was a good starting point. Todd had had a lot of success with British netminders yeah. in the past. You look at Stephen Murphy, you look at Stevie Lyle. Um, the, the benefit it gives you of that extra import. Uh, and I, again, I remember Todd at that launch of, uh, of the new era. Um, Todd talking about how we were going to build a club around Ben Bounds. And I'm not even sure if he meant it at the time or whether it was you know, a boost of confidence. But from that moment, Bouncy kind of just embraced the, the belief that the club had, had in him and it was a stroke of genius and to be fair to Todd he's absolutely stood by that we have built the club around him you know the little things like sending him to you know an NHL goalie coach in Canada just that investment in him as a person Bounsy has repaid to us in, in his performances and his uh, his loyalty and his dedication for the club um, so you know that was there wasn't you know when we knew that Bounsy was uh in situ, if you like, um, we were very happy to keep him there. We had the belief in him. And what people don't know is that there was actually we were actually handed a list of six players mm. that we were told had signed contracts with the Devils 
under previous. Mm-hmm. The contract didn't exist, but I think there was some kind of agreement with, with previous management mm-hmm. and uh, coaches. Um, and we looked down the list and there were, I mean, some of the deals we weren't happy with and everything, um, but there was one other guy that was on that list of, that had been agreed that was interesting for us, and that was Doug Clarkson. Mm-hmm. So he was on that list. Um, and Clarkson was somebody that came up the year before um, that G and I were interested in, I think, the, the summer before. Uh, or actually, it was the latter end of the season. I think he was looking to, to move out. And obviously, the first thing you look about him, he's a, a massive guy, um, mm. you know, by all accounts had skill, but he just didn't have the playing resume to... to even let you make a judgment about it because he played so few games. Because I think the year that we signed him, he previously he was on an American League contract with Adirondack, and he played maybe four or five games for them, and he played five games, and he played nine games in total that season, which is nothing to base it on. So it, it was a huge gamble. And um, Phil Hill had always told me about this guy that he had skated with when he went over to visit Mac Faulkner, and he went on some skates with some NHL guys. And he'd seen this big guy who could handle the puck mm. fantastically, you know, quick release of his shot and all that kind of stuff. And he thought he was an NHL player, and it turns out it was Doug Clarkson. Mm. And he always said, if you get that guy in, I guarantee you he'll get 20 goals. Mm. Um, Mac Faulkner spoke highly of him, and he said, you know, you're looking to recruit people as well as players and, you know, first-class person. Yeah. And, you know, Mac Faulkner is somebody that I trust, you know, with, with absolutely everything. And he was dead right on that because... Doug Clarkson is one of the nicest guys yes. that you'll meet. And we know he's a follower of the podcast, so uh, he's given us a <laughs> shout-out. So yes. that just gives him extra points in, in my eyes. I can tell for didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he is, ripping it up there. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so we, you know, we had these conversations about, of all the people that you know, have maybe been promised yes. they've got a job here, um, some that we didn't want and they didn't fit into the plans, and you know, we had to have awkward conversations, but we were upfront about them and said, look, you know, this... There's, there's nothing in place. This is not... We're not taking over the team. This is a totally new ownership. Um, so, and, and we're looking to, to start from scratch. But Doug Clarkson was a guy that, that we felt was interesting enough that, uh, you know, that we wanted him and, you know, ended up with him. And uh, another story now, I'm thinking about it, about, <laughs> about Doug Clarkson. So, he, you know, he had this deal agreed with, with the previous coach. Um, and I get a phone call... And it was from, or maybe an email first followed up by a phone call, and it was from an NHL agent. Mm. So it's actually Dougie's brother's agent, who's a family friend. And this guy is a big hitter in the NHL, has got like several multi-million dollar clients. And he's like, can I call you? I want to speak to you about Doug Clarkson. And obviously he was looking to protect Dougie's interest because he's you know, his family friend and stuff. And he's like, you know, he thought he was coming on this kind of agreement and... You know, we, ha- we had to sort of explain. So I'm having this conversation over hundreds of pounds with this NHL agent that is, uh, you know, used to dealing in multi-millions. And it was just <laughs> the weirdest conversation. I, I'm, and I just think, I dread to think what he thinks of our league because we were literally, you know, talking over a few pounds here and there. And uh, I think it ended up coming down to Doug was going to bring over a signed shirt from his brother that we could auction off or something like that. And I think that sealed the deal. <laughs> Do you try to sign his brother while he's on the phone? Oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best back ends in the league, I think, Doug Clark. So if you said for a big guy, you know, he had very, oh, very good amazing hands. Amazing hands. On his backhand yeah. side down low, he was superb. Finished with 17 goals and 21 assists. 
as well. What a good return that is. So Phil Hill owes me something then because yeah. he guaranteed 20 goals. I'm sure, I'm sure, <laughs> sure when you add in Challenge Cup and all that, I think Doug was over 20. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that would probably only cover league goals. 144 penalty minutes. And as we discussed last week, the best uppercut possibly the best uppercut. in uh, Devil's uh, history. It was, came from nowhere. Yeah. And I think Mike Agnes still... Uh, when he closed his eyes, sometimes people start. I think he's yeah. still fetching his helmet because it's still, <laughs> still travelling. Yeah, but just a very good. But uh, the second half of the season, that that third line was it: Myers, Haddad, and and, and Clarkson. And you know, we talked about the record breaking um, podcast about the strength of the third line, the strength all the way through. And you think about that third line, that that you know that that was some depth, mm. and they were all role players and. You know, her dad and Myers always had a little bit of chemistry and, and Clarkson could, could crash and bang, but if you've just said, guys, he could also put points on the board. So there was depth right the way through that lineup. Certainly was, and, uh, you know, the signings came thick and fast in the preceding weeks. Um, you got Carl Hudson um, brought in uh, Jesse Mitchin, who we'll cover in a little bit, because I think that's an interesting uh, player in Devil's history. Um Alts, the returnees, Matthew Myers comes back, Josh Batch comes back. Yeah, Chris Jones and Luke Piggott came back. So so all of a sudden we started looking for the first time in a while about real depth yeah. because we had our you know our three lines that were you know like you just talked about that third line is legit. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we've got guys like Jonesy and Pigsy ready to step in and you know, as we know we've already been caught short over previous years with lack of depth. And knowing that we had those guys that were playing in, on the third line, sometimes on the second line the previous year, um, you know, ready as role players on, on that fourth line, ready to step up at any opportunity. And, you know, they did a great job. You know, we'll talk about later about the Mitchin injury. Uh, Jonesy steps up and, you know, yeah. puts up, I think, 10 points in the year. Um, and, you know, Pigsy, you know, the energy shifts that he provides and, uh, yeah, a big part of it. And the last signing... A little unknown called Joey Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to actually give myself a bit of credit. I recognised Joey Martin pretty early because Todd for about three weeks wouldn't go on the mic and you know thought he'd busy himself with other things. And I was doing a little bit of um, camera work up in the corner, what, what Dave Elson does now along with Hubs and what have you. And obviously my camera work would have been shocking and Todd was making notes in his book about you know, no toilet paper and that sort of thing. And clearly he was very frustrated that people weren't hearing or, or, or seeing him too much and he just asked me well, what, what do you think of the, the, the team I said yeah I like some I really like that Joey Martin guy I remember my comment was uh, you know he makes his wingers better players and I don't even know if that actually makes sense as a hockey term but like, <laughs> right. it sounds good I'd have bought that yeah I, I, I thought it was good I'm a salesman as we covered earlier but uh, I, you know those, those first couple of uh, friendlies we, we played Belfast didn't we in a couple of friendlies at home yeah um, and I remember Joey Martin, he didn't put up a whole host of points, but just uh, immediately you saw that, that, that this was a guy who, who uh, the team, you know, could, he could really put the team on his back. Yeah, Joey was a guy that, um, so one of Lodo's great strengths, as we know, is, is, is diligence. And, you know, he will reach out to all his contacts in North America. So he tapped up a few trusted uh, contacts of his. And one of the names that, that came back was Joey Martin. We, and we wanted a you know, a two-way centre, that, that kind of thing. And um, already I think we had Culligan in the bag and we're looking for a, you know, a second-line centre, basically. Um, and Joey Martin's name came up and then the guy said, look, if you can get him, just do it. Um, he won't let you down. You know, he's always getting points. Even if you don't notice him some games, he's got points, but he's very, very underrated. And, uh, 
know, he would be a great guy for you, and it was, you know, a, a trusted source. Um, so then we got word that we got in contact with him, and he was actually going to sign in Italy. Um, at the time, the Italian league was uh, probably rated a bit higher than ours, so we had a deal agreed in Italy, and it was probably a bit more money than we could offer at the time because you know the the first year we definitely were a budget team still because we just did not know what was going to happen in the stands. Um, so we got Lordo got talking to to Joey, and you know Lordo, you know asked direct questions and. Uh, found out about his uh, you know his personal life and you know for housing point of view we were looking at you know who could fit him where and ideal we want ideally wanted someone that could share it turns out that Joey Martin and Doug Clarkson were good friends so they ended up actually sharing an apartment um, in the days before we could you know we just now we get everybody at their apartment <laughs> and, uh, and and you know splash the cash but um, yeah so they were good. they you know he would have been comfortable sharing but. Um, the real kicker for it was um, Megan, his now wife, uh, had never travelled with Joey before because she's got you know had a, a good job in their hometown. Uh, Joey'd always travelled to the states to to play hockey, and this was going to be the first time over in Europe that they'd actually spent the season together. So as soon as you know mentioned that he'd bring the girlfriend, I said to Lordo, find out what she does, find out what she does, see if we can you know maybe help with a job or something like that. So uh, we found out and she works for Eversheds and as an accountant. Like, Great, there's an Eversheds in, in Cardiff. No, sorry, not Eversheds, Deloitte. Deloitte, yeah. Eversheds. But Eversheds are good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah and if either Deloitte or Eversheds want to sponsor yeah. the podcast, then uh, we'll gratefully uh, receive that money. Yeah. So yeah, so she works for, for Deloitte. Uh, she's an accountant. Um, I think we we got uh, some people that we knew influential within the city to make some inquiries <laughs> within Deloitte to see if, if you know were there any positions and actually the kind of work that she does was quite specialised but they were short of them and you know she was obviously a valued employee back home and her boss was open to to putting in a word for her to get an opportunity to go and see another part of the world so again when you talk about everything lining up yeah. um, it turns out that. You know, she could take us to Conman in Cardiff, which means, you know, he's got his girlfriend that's living with him. She's got a job that far outweighs the extra money that you're doing in Italy. He knows someone on the team in Doug Clarkson. You know, Andrew Lord is very good at selling the vision um, and everything fitted in. And, you know, and we got Joey Martin and uh, he's OK. That, that turned out all right. Yeah, yeah. he's OK. God bless financial conglomerates. <laughs> It's the first time that's been said. <laughs> <laughs> Still after that advertising money, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the season then gets underway in earnest, and the fourteen fifteen new luck, new era devils hit the ice, and it's okay. It's okay from uh, September through to October. The team's running at about fifty percent wins, fifty percent losses. John, you're uh, always one to make a quick judgment in a good way mm-hmm. on uh, on what you see and uh, you're always an opinion I uh, sort out at the beginning of the year as I always do what were your first impressions of the 1415 uh, Cardiff Devils um I, I like the team I like the team a lot I um I guess uh, those those challenge games or pre-season games against Belfast um I saw enough in and I think we've won one lost one maybe I can't quite remember but we 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 certainly um, went up against the uh, what were at the time the defending league champions in the Belfast Giants who'd won it at uh, Canter I think they won it in 
September the year before, um, and, and we matched up well against them. Um, and then I remember also going out for a very early season doubleheader in, in, in Belfast, uh, Friday and Saturday, where I think we actually lost both games, but the Friday night game we should have won. And, and um, we really went toe-to-toe again with the Giants, who, who were the, the benchmark from the year before, that first team to really get four or five D-men that they were activating and jumping into the play and just swamping the zone and, and really... Um, playing some beautiful hockey, uh, uh, murdering teams. And uh, I, I thought there was depth. Um, you know, someone like Brent Walton, I remember very early on for being a guy maybe not in the greatest condition, but his, his stick handling was was sublime. Funnily enough, and him and I have got a, a little bit of a, not a checkered history, a fun history. The one guy initially I thought, oh, he's come with a big reputation, I'm, I'm not sure on this, was Andrew Hotham. I thought he started <laughs> a little slowly. Um, and did you say that on commentary at the time? Is that no, 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 that, was, that, that, no, no that, that, that came later <laughs> when, I, when I misspoke. And if Andrew's listening, uh, you know, you are fantastic, obviously. But uh, he was the one guy I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether... Uh, his reputation is is quite what it, it's it's come in with, and obviously he turned out to be fantastic. So what do I know? But no, to the <laughs> short answer from from those first preseason games against Belfast, who were the cut above the year before, and Calvin Elfring was one of my favourite players, and he still remains one of my favourite players I've seen in this league. And you had Keith and Lloyd, who we've talked about before. The Devils went toe to toe with them, and you know it was it was optimistic. Uh, ironically, that that Keith and Lloyd line that tortured us in Cardiff for so long was. The basis behind our third line, um, you know, that's what when we were looking to build the team and we were mapping out just what what we were looking for to to re-establish this identity. Um, that was one of our big aims for the season. Um, you know, because we always said you know, we want to win the trust back, we want to get our identity back, and we want to be competitive. And that they were our, that was our kind of mantra. We weren't talking about winning anything, um, but it, to get that third line where you've got Mitchum. Um, Dougie Clarkson and Matthew Myers and I, I think when they started forechecking the way that they could all big bodies all banging and crashing I think that's when people got excited uh, as well as a guy that we have to mention who is a, you know, an absolute key part of bringing that identity back is Trevor Hendricks yes. um, in one of those early Belfast games I think he fights Keith, who you know, had had the, the run of Cardiff and you know, Hendo steps up against him, and straight away everybody's on their feet, and they knew that we had a, a legit heavyweight that would uh, mm. would have everyone's backs, and you know what a what a job he did of that. And again, Hendo is a is a listener to the podcast, so yes. uh, we, we say hi to to you, Hendo. Absolutely. Um, and Hendo is actually you know one thing I want to mention. I think Hendo is the best thing that's happened to the Cardiff Juniors yeah. in the la- you know yeah. over the last 10, 15 I years. Think so. So he's now come in doing his hockey skills thing and, um, you Take know... Book it's in Elgin, I think I saw on Twitter. And yeah, so if but, anyone wants to go to hockey yeah, in Elgin... Yeah, but his, his involvement with the Cardiff Juniors, I think, is going to revolutionise that so. club. And, uh, you know, really pleased to see him back in Cardiff and, you know, still making a massive impact in the Cardiff hockey scene. But um, I digress. Uh, but <laughs> ha- having Trevor Hendricks, the player, on the team um, was... Uh, it, it was the tough guy that everybody likes to see. He knew when to enforce, when to do that. And going up against Keith early on and having a great, great scrap with Keith um, was the you know the beginning of something that uh, was really exciting for Devils fans. Not a bad role model for Josh Batch because they tended to play together. They did, yeah. And I think that that brought the best out of Batchy too, yeah. didn't it? You definitely 
you know, Batchy's a confidence player and, you know, I don't think you can get more confidence playing with a guy like Trevor Hendricks that, you know, was experienced. He'd won two championships with Allen. Yeah. Um, so he had him alongside him as a player, as, as a reliable player, but also the toughness that helped Batchy then play a, you know, a tougher style and, uh, and those two, I thought, bounced off each other really well. Trevor Hendricks is the sort of person where as a child if you kicked your ball into their garden you'd be too scared to go and ask for it <laughs> you just had that mean luck all the time I think Trevor time. Hendricks actually is the person that would kick your ball into someone else's yeah. garden so, <laughs> so you can't get it back yeah, absolutely. and then steal your bike but where's ginger facial hair very well you've got to have role models you've got to have role models so as I say uh, September October the devils are running at about 50% and then all of a sudden in November, from November the 9th, the Devils win 3-2 against the Belfast Giants. And that starts a run of games where uh, there's only uh, two losses in around uh, 15 to 20 games. It's a, it's a real run that goes right through Christmas, right to the new year. Um, Ronnie, what was the catalyst uh, for, for that uh, brilliant run which takes the Devils right into a title challenge? I think it was um, the establishment of the line of Martin, Lord and Morissette as the best line in the country. Yes. Now, nobody expected that because, it, like you said, when we brought it in, it, it looked like it was going to be Cully, Haddad and Walton was going to be our top line. Um, one of the things that I said to Lord early on when we were talking about the discussions about being a player coach, I know how much pride Lordo takes in his personal game. Um, and I said, Lordo, one thing I want you to accept now, because otherwise it's going to eat away at you, is your point production is going to drop. You've got more responsibility. You're going to have to be thinking strategically in the games. Um, you might end up dropping down the lineup some way to, to try and manage the two. Player coach is the hardest job in hockey. And, you know, your, your production, don't be surprised if it cuts in half. I think he was a point a game the year before. Don't be surprised if it cuts in half. And if you're doing that, it's still fantastic. Uh, I don't want you to get disheartened about it because I knew the kind of guy Lordo is, it would eat him away. And how wrong was I? Um, you know, he he ends up with, on that top line, I don't think it was by choice that he wanted to be the top line. Not at all. I think he'd been happy, happy playing down the line. But when they came together as a line and they started to click, it, and it became the dominant line in the country, didn't it? You know, it was, it was yeah. the line everyone was trying to shut down. And it was the, you know, the perfect combination where, you, you know, I, I, we talked before about, you know, having Pele, the smaller, agile guy, Matt's the two-way centre, and uh, Max Beerbrier, yeah. the power forward on that. It was almost like, a, you know, a, 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 a mirage of that. Yeah. And um, it was, you know, having him there, you know, he did so much of the banging and crashing. Talking about getting uh, the crowd into a game straight away, we would start the biggest two-wingers, uh, and Mo was always uh, a bit peeved off that uh, we'd sometimes sit him back and we'd put Batchy up on the wing yeah. for the first shift or whatever. He'd be like, what have I got to do? But I was like, well, you, you know, you've got to be six foot two. Or <laughs> but, uh, and you stretched him and stretched him. <laughs> yeah. still... But uh, we put, and Lorda would go out there and he would lay a hit. Crowd would be on its feet and the blue tent became a fortress again, didn't it? Yeah. You know, we'd had it as a fortress before. It had become a place that teams had been comfortable coming in. And all of a sudden you had Devils starting off the the, uh, the games like that. You got Trevor Hendricks throwing massive hip checks and, you know, making the wall shake in there. Yeah. Um, but I think the establishment of that top line was the catalyst. 
because everybody was focused on them and they battled through it and they still produced. And then you've got the backup of people like Cully, Haddad, Walton. Uh, and then we talked about that energy line that, you know, we were trying to, to mirror the, uh, the Belfast yeah. energy line that worked so well. And, and it did, you know, so we had that, that energy. Um, and it was also the group of guys that we had. It's, um, you know, it's easy to say every year, oh, this is my favourite group of guys, but that was a special group mm. because I always think it's a special group when you start something from scratch and that's what we were doing. We were rebuilding from scratch and everybody was friends on that team and, you know, everybody was really close and, uh, you know, that was starting to come out in our play. The lines got established and, you know, our identity was back and everybody had that swagger. Oh, absolutely. I, I completely concur that that Martin, Lord, Morissette line, you forget how good it was and, we talked about Jared Adams in the, the record breakers year. We, we tend to think of G now as, as a coach. And, you know, I, I said I loved him as a player. And he, you know, the first season he was in Cardiff, he was my favourite player. You know, it's wrong with a mid-30s man to have a favourite player. But Andrew Lord, the player, <laughs> was was my favourite player. And, and that's because he would bang and crash. But, again, hockey IQ, uh, great hands for a big man. And, and when he used to cut from kind of outside to, to in from the half wall and, 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 and cut across and... Uh, you know, you couldn't stop him in, in, in flight and he also knew when to do things, he knew when the game needed a, a lift, how many times in commentary did we call him the, the heartbeat of the of, of, of the team. And then Franny's right, once you get that line established, I guess the, the other lines fall into place and I remember Culligan and Walton suddenly started playing together and they had chemistry and, and, and that was uh, pretty special. Um, but yeah, Martin Morissette and, and Lord, certainly for that, kind of November to maybe Challenge Cup final, just before perhaps we ran out of steam, that, that line was by far the dominant line in the country. Well, that's it for part one of the 14-15 season and the first year of new ownership. Some great stories in that episode, I'm sure you'll all agree. We will be back next week with part two, where, of course, the main talking point will be all about the Challenge Cup final, the trophy no one thought we were going to win, and the real catalyst to what has been a fantastic couple of seasons in Devils history, and the start of what all Devils fans hope will be many, many more. Keep interacting with us on Twitter. We will have a new poll up shortly for episode four, so you can get voting on what you'll uh, want to listen to there. And uh, again, just thank you for all your support. Keep listening, keep retweeting, keep subscribing. And we will keep enjoying bringing you these episodes each and every week. So uh, goodbye for now, and we'll be back next week with part two of the 14-15 season, how to build a Challenge Cup winning team in just six weeks.